0: Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take. It's back. Oh yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazine Lambrey, Van Lathan, Julie Lippman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you gotta defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes? Oh yeah, it's coming back. First episode drops, August 29th. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian
1: Barrett, and this is not a podcast I expected to be doing—at least this off season, maybe next off season. But Tom Brady announces his retirement this morning, so he puts out on Instagram, "Quote: Good morning, guys. I'll get to the point right away. I'm retiring for good. I know the process was a pretty big deal last time. So when I woke up this morning, I figured I just press record." And let you guys know first, I won't be long-winded. You only get one super emotional retirement essay, and I used mine up last year, and Brady was emotional if you, of course by now, saw the post on social media. So a lot to get to, and I want to get to the top five athletes since the turn of the century in Boston. We'll do that the, Do that at the end. We'll get into my favorite Brady moments as well, because there's a lot of them. It's tough to sort of narrow them down. But obviously, let's start with the news of the day. Brady was very, very emotional, and There are so many things to get into, as I alluded to with Tom, but I just want to start with the fact that I am pretty surprised by this, aren't you? And I'll admit I was wrong. I did not think he would hang them up after what happened last season in Tampa Bay. Most losses he's ever had in a season. The guy was under 500 for the first time in his career. I just felt like there's no way that Tom Brady is going out that way, right? As a team that was utterly embarrassed against the Dallas Cowboys, and that team never figured it out all season long. But then you hear some of the reporting in terms of people close to Tom. So Jeff Darlington, who has been really glued into the Brady camp going back to when he left the Patriots originally, he reported that Brady was exhausted and not just physically. Now, Darlington, remember, had previously reported that Tom lost 15 pounds this year. And you could tell, right, he did not look right. And this is going from training camp to the end of the season. He lost 15 pounds. His face was so thin and we know like all the stuff that he was going through from a personal standpoint, right? It wasn't just the frustration where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers sucked all season long. They couldn't figure it out. The coaching was bad and all that. It wasn't just that. It was he was going through a divorce, that situation during his NFL season. So it just clearly weighed on Tom Brady. And you could tell how many times do we look at Tom on social media or look at him after the games and say, he just does not look right. From a physical standpoint, so you could tell. And the other thing I would look at is, you go back to what he said after that loss to the Cowboys. He said, I love this organization. It's a great place to be. Thank you, everybody, for welcoming me. And all you regulars, and he's referring to the media there. I'm just grateful for the respect, and I hope I gave the same back to you. I appreciate it. So at that time, I thought that just meant, well, he's leaving Tampa, right? But Darlington this morning said he briefly considered the 49ers, and Darlington noted even someone close to Tom Brady mentioned the Patriots, and Tom was like, ah, no, not going back to the Patriots. So essentially, Darlington's reporting this morning was it was the Bucs or retirement, right? Like the options were out there. He knew what the options were, but he didn't really even consider them. It was Tampa Bay or retirement, which I thought... It was anywhere but Tampa. So I was completely wrong on this. I thought, yeah, Tom is going to return to the NFL. It's just not going to be with Tampa Bay. But ultimately, the reporting is that Tom was deciding on retiring or going back to Tampa, which, I mean, doesn't that make the decision a little bit easier? (laughs) Do you want to go back to that mess with Todd Bowles as the head coach right now? Absolutely not. But I guess we just part of it from my perspective, maybe I just didn't factor in the family stuff enough when we talk about Tampa or retirement. Like, do you want to move at the age of 46 And be locked somewhere else in terms of living at a certain location from August through the end of January, right? When your kids are in a different location. I guess the only other one would be like, if he definitely went to Miami, if the Tua situation, but that would be the only one where he would... Guarantee himself being close to his family. But then, even if it's San Francisco, which of course is his childhood home, his family's not going to be there. So it's just a difficult situation from a family aspect. So I guess it does make sense now, if you think about it, considering where he is in sort of in his life, if you will. So just from my own personal level, it just feels weird. Okay. I was still sort of in my, for lack of a better term, embryotic stages as a sports fan when Brady started his career. Like, I don't know a sports world without Tom Brady in it. I don't know the NFL without Tom Brady playing. Now, I've been able to figure out what a Patriots world is without Tom Brady, and I don't really like that. We got a shitty Cam Newton year, a good Max season, and then the biggest dysfunctional season in the history of the Bill Belichick era as the Patriots head coach. I mean, we just talked about that the other day with my buddy Andrew Callahan, how bad it was from a dysfunctional standpoint. So... I don't really like the non-Tom Brady Patriots, if you will. Like, it has not been a lot of fun over the past couple of years. So I will get to some of my favorite Brady moments. But before I do that, I just want to say I'm happy that Tom actually went to Tampa. First of all, he was not treated correctly at the end here. So if you go back to after the 17 season, when the Patriots ultimately lost to the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl. So after that, you're looking at around the landscape of the NFL Jimmy Garoppolo was scheduled to make $27.5 million, who was Tom Brady's backup, right? With the Patriots. And Jimmy Garoppolo is like coming off injuries, right? So when you look at it and you're Tom Brady, you're not getting paid top of the market money as a quarterback. And after he just has this unbelievable season in 17, he won this thing called the MVP. This is what the Patriots give him in terms of a contract extension. They give him incentives in his contract, right? The Patriots. And remember, Bill knew that he wasn't going to hit these incentives. And by the way, what they were is, so Tom gets an extra million if he hit all five of these or if he he got an extra million for each of these top five in passer rating, top five in completion percentage, top five in yards per attempt, top five in touchdowns and top five in passing yards. OK, now Bill knew that the offense was not going to be as explosive from a passing game perspective because. Brandon Cooks wasn't brought back, right? They traded Brandon Cooks away to the Los Angeles Rams and Cooks the previous season had had over a thousand yards and it was Brady's best to buy the numbers down the field passing season since he had Randy Moss and they took that guy away. And then the contract that Brady gets after winning the MVP is, hey, you can get a million extra dollars for each of these, Tom. So after all he's done, where he had won five Super Bowls already at that point, he had won what three MVPs already at that point, and you're looking at it fr- from that perspective, and you have to sing for your supper if you're Tom Brady. Like he was totally mistreated at the end here, and then you go to 2019. So he gets the bump in terms of the $23 million in terms of the increase in his pay, right? But remember, Brady's talking about his extension or the lack of an extension during the training camp, he's saying. I don't know. That's up for talk show debate. Why don't you ask Mr. Kraft? So you could tell there was a real frustration with Brady there. And it wasn't just with Bill. It was with Kraft as well, because I truly believe that Brady always felt that Kraft was going to take care of him at the end. And he didn't. Right. So anyway, you go back to that. So he gets this extension and it's a fake extension. Right. Yes, he does get the initial bump in pay in 2019. But what we would later find out is, oh, the next two years are void years. Right. So Tom, they couldn't even give him that Drew Brees contract, two for $50 million. The Patriots would not even offer Tom Brady that. Instead, it's basically one year and void years. Now, the one thing that Tom got in this, which really ultimately helped him make his next decision was, hey, you know what? You cannot franchise me. And the Patriots agreed we cannot franchise you. And thus, he becomes a free agent after that. But Tom's offense, if you go back to 2019, was a joke. He had a banged up Julian Edelman. Gronk had retired. The line was a mess with the injuries. Remember, they had Marshall Newhouse playing left tackles. That guy is was a complete turnstile. And look, a lot of this is due to injuries. But then you brought in Antonio Brown. That thing worked for a game and then they had to get rid of him. So Tom's numbers declined. So that was sort of an ugly end for this situation with Brady and the Patriots. But what Bill did, like when Tom's numbers went down, what Bill did is he actually gave Tom the ammo to leave. He was looking at the 2020 Patriots team and he's saying, okay, it's going to be a banged up Edelman from the end of this past season, right? They had just spent a first round pick on Nikhil Harry, who Tom obviously knew could not play. So the thing that Bill gave is Tom an answer. Hey, it does make more sense for me to leave here, right? So Tom had sacrificed contractually so many times before, but why would he now in 2020, right? What was the point? Why would Tom sacrifice in terms of an economical standpoint. See, the Patriots, the argument that the Patriots would have always had for the majority of the Brady era is, hey, we give Tom the best chance to win, right? But not anymore. So Tom found a team with two stud receivers in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin in Tampa Bay. He got his buddy Gronk out of retirement. They even signed Antonio Brown before he went completely insane. And year one, Tom wins the Super Bowl. Year two, he should have been the MVP. 5,316 yards, led the NFL 43 touchdowns, the most in the NFL. The Bucs went 13-4. and four. Brady should have won the MVP last year over Aaron Rodgers. So succeeds immediately. So Tom looked like the guy he looked like in 2019 that was declining from that guy to a guy that was once again a top two to three quarterback in the NFL because he got to go to Tampa, because he got to go to a team that had a good offense. So Bill What we've seen here is he was clearly wrong. Like, this is a legacy thing for Tom Brady. Yeah, maybe it wasn't necessary for Tom to win a Super Bowl in Tampa, but it certainly elevates where he is. Even if you say, well, he'd already won six Super Bowls, Brian. He'd already won three MVPs, but he added another Super Bowl MVP, and he won that Super Bowl without Bill Belichick. I mean, think about how we talk about Bill right now in terms of the argument now, things have fallen apart since Tom Brady left the organization. This was the final piece of the Brady legacy, right? It's Kobe Bryant winning championships without Shaq. Brady went to Tampa one year. He rebuilt the culture. His initial year in Tampa, they won the Super Bowl. Completely unheard of. You move to a different team the first year you win the Super Bowl. It's crazy, right? So for me, I'm so happy that Brady got to have those final two years in Tampa where he won a Super Bowl and he competed at a high level in the second year where he won or should have won the MVP if he stays with the Patriots, his final seasons look like what? Like what we saw in 2019 and what we saw this past season in Tampa. That's what it would have looked like the whole time if Brady stayed with the Patriots. So as of right now, like there's no argument. Tom has the upper hand on Bill. And Tom, let's not pretend he cares about this type of shit, right? But we should also recognize, yes, Bill lost at the end with Tom. But they made it work for 20 years. Like, that's the most important thing. They did make it work for 20 years. So the only critique of how it ended here is that there was still meat on the bone left with Tom, as we would find out when he went to Tampa. And even despite the personal issues that Bill and Tom may have had, the football part of it made more sense for Tom to leave. And that's the tough thing as a Patriots fan to stomach, right? There was no football reason most of the time for Tom Brady to leave here. But at the end, after the 2019 season... Even the football stuff, it made more sense for Tom to leave the Patriots than stay. And to me, that's Bill's biggest failure at the end of the time with Tom, right? Bill himself could not properly evaluate Tom Brady and doubted his ability because of the poor team that he put around Tom, right? Like from the outside looking in, think about it. When Bill Belichick is ready to move on from Tom Brady, he's OK with the- Think about the suitors. There weren't a lot of them right now. Luckily, Tom ends up in a good place in Tampa Bay. But it was the Chargers. We heard a little bit of the Raiders. Even the Titans decided, hey, we'll take Tannehill over Brady. The Niners had looked at the Garoppolo film and said, hey, we'll take Jimmy. Jimmy over Brady. So because Belichick's idea was, hey, it's time to move on from Tom, the rest of the league said, well, hey, if Belichick thinks this is the greatest coach of all time, he must be on to something. And that's why, in some sense, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers situation, obviously, that organization was desperate. They needed Tom more than Tom needed them. So that's why that sort of made sense. But even if you look at it, the roster was so bad that even Bill Belichick couldn't get the proper evaluation of who Tom Brady was as a player. And I do wonder two things here. So, first of all, in 2019, if Bill takes AJ Brown or Debo Samuel, right, does Brady stay? Right? Because the other element to this is, well, if Gronk isn't so done with Bill and he doesn't retire, does Brady leave, right? So think about those two pieces. In 18, if Gronk doesn't decide to move on after the Super Bowl season, so you keep Gronk around, Gronk's still happy in this hypothetical ideal world. Gronk and Bill don't have Issues. And in 19, you actually hit on the right receiver, right? You either hit on A.J. Brown, or you hit on Debo Samuel in the draft Who remember and kill Harry went before both those guys. So after 19, Brady's like, OK, I still got Gronk playing at a high level, right? In all likelihood, not the player that he was before, but still a really good player going back to 2018. And we hit on one of these rookie receivers and Brady could tell if AJ Brown's out there, he's going to be able to tell that guy's a good player. If Debo Samuel's out there, he's going to be able to tell that guy's a really good player. So either one of those two things, if he hits on those or both of those things, if they hit on those, is Tom Brady still a Patriot? Does Tom Brady ultimately retire a member of the Patriots organization? Because I know all the personal stuff was going on. But what if those two things happen? Those two things hit on the receiver and you don't have the horrible relationship with Rob Gronkowski. Does Brady finish things out here? Look, I know I sound like a spoiled fan right now, but I can't avoid thinking about those things based on how Tom played those first two seasons in Tampa. So here is another interesting component to this. I think as a Patriots fan, you could feel a lot better today after Tom retired about where the organization is if Mac had a really good second year after a pretty good rookie season. But here's the problem. He played really poorly And we all know the coaching disaster, as we've alluded to. But this is four consecutive seasons without having a legitimate number one receiver and an offense that is good enough to compete at the highest levels, right? You look at the past four seasons and look through the Patriots receivers. 19 Tom's final season. Second leading receiver was our buddy James White with 645. That's a running back, right? And the second leading like actual receiver after Edelman was Philip Dorsett. 2020, it's Jacoby Myers. And Demir Bird was the second leading receiver in the Cam Newton year. Demir Bird, remember that guy? And then you look at 2021, Myers and Kendrick Bourne. Neither one of those guys were a legitimate, bona fide number one. 2022, it's Jacoby Myers and Devontae Parker, who missed a bunch of games this season. That's how bad they were from a passing aspect, right? And if you look at it, the past four seasons, going back to Brady's final year, so Brady year, Cam Newton year, two Mac Jones years. The Patriots are 24th in drop back success rate. They have had no passing game whatsoever over the past four seasons. And ultimately, that's on the head coach of the organization, right? So when you think about that, the Jaguars are better than the Patriots over the past four seasons in drop back success rate. The Colts, who change out their quarterback every year, have been better than the Patriots over the past four seasons. The passing game has just gone to shit over the past four seasons. So now it's time for Bill to prove again that he can build a competent offense, right? Tom proved that he could win a Super Bowl without Bill. You look at Bill, since Tom left, he's a 500 coach. He's 25 and 25. He has proven that since Tom Brady has left, he is a 500-level coach. Those are the numbers. So you have to acknowledge that this is happening here when we talk about Tom Brady's career ending as a Buccaneer. Just as we saw, this is a huge thing on Tom's resume, where he gets that additional Super Bowl, it's massive for him. What has happened here, especially the dysfunction this year, really, really hurts Bill's legacy. How can you argue to the contrary? You can't, right? And me, I wanted to be in the Belichick camp. I wanted to stay with the laundry and for Bill to continue to succeed and win with a different quarterback. Like, I always wanted to see that. I want to see Bill get his ring after Tom as well. But the problem is, I don't know how many people can have faith in the organization right now that it's going to continue to get back to, or it's going to get back to where it was years ago. I just don't have the faith right now, based on everything we've seen with the offense over the past four seasons, and I don't know how you don't think about Bill when you see Tom retiring today. Like, Bill deserves a ton of credit for building Tom into the player he is. Now, obviously, Tom was probably going to be great no matter where he went, just because of the work ethic, and the desire to be great. But we have to acknowledge, like Bill helped him get off to a really good start. He got to play for a stacked Patriots team that was built around the defense, but ultimately it turned into Tom Brady's team. And Tom Brady took over. And now life without Tom Brady, Bill hasn't proven that he could get back to the coach that he was when Tom was early on in his NFL career. And that's the biggest challenge going forward. And I think the most surprising thing to us as Patriots fans right now is how bad it's gotten in terms of the internal issues that they have within the organization, the issues with the offense, the issues with the coaching staff. So now Bill's on the clock to try to figure this thing out, get this thing going in the right direction. And I really hope that what we see in the coming seasons is more of an emphasis to get this offense back on track. It started with Bill O'Brien, but let's see where they go from here. Because I just look at recent history of the NFL and you look at The last two teams or two of the last four teams to play in the Super Bowl. So you go back to last year with the Bengals and this year with the Philadelphia Eagles. And you look at young quarterbacks, right? Where Joe Burrow, in his first year, in the second round, they select T. Higgins. The next season, top five pick, they use that on Jamar Chase. And then you look at this year's team with the Philadelphia Eagles. Year one, or I should say Jalen Hurts' second year, first year that he's definitely penciled in as the starter, they draft him Devontae Smith. 10th overall, right? Stud of a receiver. had just won the Heisman Trophy. So what did they do the following year? Just like the Bengals, the Bengals doubled down in the draft. They went and got Jamar Chase. What the Eagles did is they doubled down and they traded for A.J. Brown, one of the best receivers in the NFL. So when I look at this from a Patriots perspective, I give Bill credit. This year he used a high draft pick, a second round pick to get Tyquan Thornton. Not to say that he's going to be Devontae Smith or T. Higgins, but they tried to go out and get a weapon. And At the very least, that speed is going to play in the NFL. But now it's time to do what these other teams have done, which is double down. Go get a receiver. You're going to have salary cap space where you're scheduled to have the seventh most of the NFL, right, where you can go out there and trade for one of these stud receivers. Double down where you're saying, okay, we have a chance with a quarterback on his rookie contract to make a run. And last year, you wasted one of those opportunities because the roster was so bad. And if you look at it through recent NFL history, you go back through the years 12 and 13, Russell Wilson plays in the Super Bowl on his rookie contract, right? Then you go to 15. Cam Newton was on his fifth-year option. He plays in the Super Bowl. Now, 16, you had Matt Ryan and Tom Brady. But 17, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, Nick Foles was on a backup contract. And they got out to the number one seed because Carson Wentz was playing on a loaded roster on a rookie contract, right? That's sort of how this league works. Even in 18, Jared Goff, he was playing on a rookie contract. The Rams had a stacked team around him, right? You go to 2019, Pat Mahomes, rookie contract. 2020, Pat Mahomes, rookie contract. And then as we alluded to last year with Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts. So out of the last 10 Super Bowls, in all but one year, you've had a quarterback on a rookie contract. And I just hope the Patriots can find a place with Mac Jones to rebuild the offense and double down on the receiver. Okay, I kind of got sidetracked with the Patriots aspect to all this, but I just get really worried about where they're at from an offensive perspective. And just seeing Tom Brady leave today, I am just so happy for Tom that he got to go somewhere else at the end where Bill was starting to lose it in terms of his ability to evaluate offense and his ability to put playmakers around Tom. I'm so happy he had those two years in Tampa where not only is it great for his legacy, but just the first two years before everything went sideways for his well-being. Like, hey, it looks like Tom Brady may be losing it. No, actually, Tom Brady's still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Tom Brady beat Pat Mahomes in the Super Bowl. I mean, Tom Brady could still play at an elite level, and Bill Belichick lost the true evaluation of the player because of how bad his roster was. So I'm happy that Tom was able to actually do that in Tampa. All right, a lot more to get into. I'll get into my top five Boston athletes since the turn of the century. Not going to be a shocker who's at number one, but it was tough to evaluate the rest of this list. Coming up next, though, I do want to get back to Brady as we get sidetracked with the Patriots and get to my favorite Brady moments.
0: This episode is brought to you by State Farm.
1: All right, welcome back into Off the Pike. So before we get to my favorite Brady moments, I just want to point this out. So from 2014 to 2018, Tom Brady played the quarterback position better than anybody we've ever seen in NFL history. And the run that he had was absolutely insane. And he did this from the age of 37 to the age of 41. Like I know in 07, he broke the record with touchdown passes and all this, but 14 through 18 is the best stretch of Brady's career. And it came in his late 30s into his early 40s, which is ridiculous. Think about the run he had from 14 to 18. 14 won the Super Bowl. We'll get to that in a little bit when I get to my favorite Brady moments. 15 lost in the AFC title game when all these guys are going down with injuries you had. And he was getting absolutely fucking abused in that game. Remember that? That's the year that Skarnecki had retired. The offensive line was just an absolute disaster. Brady was getting absolutely punished. They still almost won that game at 15. Gustowski had missed the extra point. But anyway, they lost in the AFC title game. 16, of course, they win the Super Bowl. The famous comeback against the Eagles. Get to that in a second as well. 17, lost in the Super Bowl, but Brady was the MVP of the regular season. Threw for 500 yards in that Super Bowl game, by the way. And then in 18, they win the Super Bowl at the end. So that's the best stretch of quarterback play we've ever seen. And look, we know he has a ton of records, but I'll just get to one. The most impressive one to me is the playoffs. 35 playoff wins as a quarterback. Second on the list is Joe Montana at 16. So he has 19 more than any other quarterback. And how about this? He has more playoff wins than 28 NFL franchises. It's just absolutely ludicrous. All right, so most of these favorite moments I'm going to get to are based around the postseason and are based around big games. But I did want to get to one really interesting regular season game that I'll always remember. So I'm going back to the 2007 season where... (laughs) The Patriots were just a wagon. They went undefeated. We all know the history of that. But remember what happened against the Steelers? Anthony Smith, a safety who went to my alma mater, Syracuse, he guaranteed a win over the Patriots, okay? Which is just dumb to begin with. So Brady throws a touchdown. He chases Anthony Smith down to scream at him, okay? (laughs) and Remember, he was just going at this guy on the field. It was absolutely epic. Brady, after the game, quote, I don't care to repeat what I said, especially if my mother reads it. She wouldn't be very happy. Even Bill got involved. Remember what Bill said after this game? We've played against a lot better safeties than him. I'll tell you. That's what Belichick said after the game. (laughs) We played against a lot better safeties than him. That was the height of the Patriots sort of healthy arrogance, if you will. They thought they were going to destroy everybody in the NFL and they pretty much did until they ultimately got to that Super Bowl. But Anthony Smith, like this is stuff that, remember, we used to hear about Michael Jordan where he would find certain things that would motivate him. Anthony Smith guarantees this win. This is like catnip to the Patriots. Like this team is rolling. Any little thing they could use as motivation, we saw throughout the Belichick era. Going back to The first Super Bowl against the Eagles, where Bill's reading the parade route. Anything they could possibly come up with to motivate themselves, they did. And that was just an example of it. And I still, I'll never forget Brady chasing down Anthony Smith. All right. Number two, or uh, these aren't really ranked. They're just my favorite Brady moments. 2018, they beat the Chargers in the divisional round to get to the AFC championship game. I remember that was like one of the dumbest game plans I've ever seen by the Chargers. They just kept showing Brady the same defense over and over again. He just picked them apart. But anyway, so... Brady, after that game, he's doing an interview with CBS, it's Tracy Wolfson. He says, I know everybody thinks we suck, and you know, can't win any games, so we'll see. It'll be fun, end quote. And that set a tone for the Patriots, right? That was their rallying cry because they knew they were going up against the Kansas City Chiefs next. So, sure, was it slightly exaggerated by Brady? Yes, but that's what the team needed. Everybody was counting out the Patriots. You had people actually picking the Chargers to beat the Patriots at Gillette. So Brady used any little thing he could. And they use that, they carry that into that Chiefs game where that was just incredible, right? And we all know about the D Ford offsides, all that, blah, blah, blah. But the Chiefs, who the Patriots had held to 24 points, or I should say, the Patriots held the Chiefs to zero points, right? In the first half. Then they come out, they score 24 in the fourth. They had 31 in the second half, of the Chiefs, right? So Bill and that great defense had the answers for Pat Mahomes and company in the first half. But then in the second half, Mahomes was doing whatever he wanted to that Patriots defense. They had no answer whatsoever. So then the Patriots win the toss, right? And it was not easy, that final drive. One of the epic Tom Brady drives of all time. Third and nine, he throws a dart to Edelman over the middle up to midfield. Third and 10, he finds Edelman again. And then third and 10, he finds Gronk on an in-breaking route. So on that overtime drive where, you know, if you don't score a touchdown, if you're the Patriots, it's over. The Patriots defense at that point had no answer for Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid and Tyree Kill and Travis. No answer whatsoever. The Patriots defense was not going to stop the Chiefs if the Chiefs got the ball back, right? And at that particular point, if you punt it, all they need is a field goal. Brady converts three third downs, third and 10, third and 10, and a third and nine. Just an unbelievable drive by Tom Brady to send them to the Super Bowl. And we don't know the history where the Patriots beat the Rams. And one of the most boring Super Bowls that, quite frankly, you will ever watch. But Brady did make an outstanding throw in that game, too. Remember, dropped it in the bucket to Gronk to set up the touchdown there. But just an unbelievable drive against the Chiefs. And one of my favorite games of all time, that Chiefs AFC title game where it's like, all right, here's the next team. And look, maybe the Chiefs do win the Super Bowl again is like, just being able to beat that team. And I do think that's a really interesting part of Brady's legacy, too, is like this whole idea. Remember, everyone's like hyping up Mahomes as the next great quarterback, and he is. I mean, the guy's outstanding. He's 0 2 against Tom in the playoffs. Tom beat him in 2018, and of course, he beat him in the 2020 Super Bowl as well. All right. So then I wanted to get to this one. Obviously, the first one, like the first year, 2001 against the Rams, 121 left, 17 17. And you have no timeouts, right? So the Patriots, you have John Madden on the broadcast famously say, the Pats should just play for overtime. That's what John Madden said. The Pats should just play for overtime. So instead, the Patriots say, nah, fuck that. We're going for it. So they take over at the 16. Brady in the shotgun avoids a sack. He finds Redmond, picks up five yards. John Madden again, quote, I don't agree with what the Patriots are doing. That's what John Madden said after the first completion of the drive. Second down, finds Redmond for the first down. And then Brady spikes the ball to save time with 29 seconds left. Check down to Redmond, up to the 41. Just poised from Brady, right? I have time. I'll take what they give me. He gets out of bounds at the 33. Okay, then on first down, they blitz Brady. Brady sprints to his right and just throws the ball out of bounds to make sure they save the time, right? Just a heads up move where he realized, I can't do anything here. Let me get it out of bounds. Okay, then he throws a dart to Troy Brown to pick up that huge chunk. And then after that, they blitz Tom. He finds Wiggy, picks up an additional four yards or so, and they set up the field goal. After that, John Madden says, quote, what Tom Brady just did gives me goosebumps. So it was just an incredible drive by Tom Brady at the end there where he did so many things. He made so many big plays. And it was just, it's sort of symbolic of Brady's career. Where how many times do we see Brady just make the easy play? Don't try to do too much. Take what the defense gives me. And even in his first season, really, as a starter and with the game on the line, with the Super Bowl on the line, he was just incredibly poised with no timeouts to be able to make all those plays. Even the spike at the end, right? Casually get the guys up there, spike the ball, set it up for Adam Vinatieri. So that one, of course, that's the start of the dynasty. That one's obviously going to register. All right, come back against the Seahawks. This is probably my favorite Brady moment. Where in the fourth quarter, just the final line, 13 of 15, 124 yards, two touchdowns. His passer rating was 140.7. And he dissected the Legion of Boom. And this sort of reminds me of Brady as the legacy killer, right? Because we talk about the greatest show on turf. They were on their way to win their second in three years. They could have become a dynasty. And then you start to think about this situation with Seattle, where they had won the previous season. And that legion of boom was on its way to becoming like one of the great defenses of all time, because remember, they had beaten Peyton Manning and company in the previous season, and that wasn't even a close Super Bowl. And here they have Tom Brady and the Patriots on the ropes, and Tom stops the legacy from happening. And yes, we know about the Malcolm Butler catch, but you think about it. 24 to 14, he finds Amendola in the back of the end zone to the right shoulder where Earl Thomas is on the other side of Amendola. So he puts it where only Amendola can catch that ball, which is just ridiculous. And before that, he had waited on Edelman to pick up the first down, where he waits exactly until Edelman clears the linebacker to make that throw in there. 24-21, he finds Gronk near the sideline, where it's just like, I don't know what the Seahawks are doing. Remember, it's like KJ writes on Gronk. So Brady's like, all right, you're going to put a linebacker on Gronk. I'm going to beat you every time. Then he finds LaFell to set up a first down. Then remember, he missed Edelman. They go back to the same play. He finds Edelman for the touchdown. One of his only two, what, incompletions in that quarter. But just to be able to, you had to abort the run game. You couldn't run against Seattle because they were so tough against the run. It was all on Brady's arm. And of course, Malcolm Butler, the interception at the end there. But it was all on Brady. And it was this incredible group of Seahawks, Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Bobby Wagner. K.J. Wright, all these absolute studs, and Tom Brady was the best player on the field, and it wasn't even remotely close. And you have that image at the end of the game where Richard Sherman at that time was just, he was kind of disrespectful, quite frankly, at that point in his career. Remember, he was like mocking Darrell Revis on the sideline, holding up the 2-4 after Revis had given up a touchdown, and he, Brady, was on a knee at the end of the game, sort of just taking it all in, and Richard Sherman reaches his hand out to give Brady a handshake. Just an incredible moment. And that Seahawks game is one of the best games that I've ever seen Tom Brady play. OK, then the Falcons come back, of course, 28 to 3. Brady, remember, had that 15 yard run on their first touchdown drive in the second half. Then he found James White, who gets in. By the way, James White set the record in this game. Most receptions, he, our friend James White, he was absolutely incredible in this game. So he finds James White, gets in beautiful, stops on a dime, gets past his defender. Next drive, you get the field goal. So it's 28 to 12. And then you have the Matt Ryan sack fumble, huge play by Dante Hightower. And then he throws an absolute seed to Danny Amendola to make it 28 to 18. They go for two there, of course, because they need to. It's 28 to 18. You have the fake botch snap where Brady jumps in the air like the ball's past him. James White gets it. and goes in for the score to make it 28 to 20. But that pass that he threw to Amendola, man, if you get a chance today, do yourself a favor and go back and watch that fourth quarter. But anyway, so then it's 28 to 20, Third, third and 10. Third and ten, Brady finds Hogan. He's on his back leg. He's on his back right leg. He's down to his back leg. Just throws it up, finds Hogan across the sideline to pick up a first down. And then he finds finds Malcolm Mitchell, where Malcolm Mitchell is just coming out of his break. He actually falls, still makes the catch. Beautiful throw by Brady. And, of course, you get that crazy Edelman catch where Joe Buck famously on the broadcast says, oh, he caught that, right? Because in real time, it doesn't look like he catches it. You see the replay. And, of course, Edelman made the catch. And that leads to a James White rushing touchdown. By the way, James White, I'll say it again. I mean, he just absolutely was great in this game. He shook Deion Jones on a slant to pick up that first down where Deion Jones had no chance whatsoever. So you still need the two. And then you get Amendola in. very creative play, by the way, by Josh McDaniels. I kind of missed that. They get Amendola in, tie the game in OT. It was over, right? Once they get the ball in overtime, you know, the Falcons have no chance whatsoever. He drops, drops it into a bucket to Amendola on a speed out. And then he throws an absolute dart to Edelman where Edelman wasn't really even open, but Brady put it in a spot where only Edelman could catch it. Eventually you get the James White rushing touchdown, but just something we'll never see before. Yeah. And certainly the Falcons had to play a major role in that comeback. But the poise that Brady showed in that game was just ridiculous. And no Patriots fan will ever forget that. It was just one of the most amazing things that we'll ever experience where Tom Brady just ripped apart the Falcons and they come back from 28 to three. 28-3, to and now they're making a movie about it. We'll see how that goes. So those are just some of my favorite Brady moments of all time. One of the other things I really liked about Brady is when they asked him what your favorite Super Bowl ring is, and he says the next one. And I think one of the most, I don't want to say the most underrated thing about Brady because we all know it, but hearing some of his teammates talk about him, the Teddy Brewskis of the world, et cetera, it just felt like Tom was one of the guys. And I do wonder if part of that was just the fact that Tom Brady came up and he wasn't This guy that was penciled in to be a great quarterback like a Peyton Manning, like even a Joe Burrow. And I'm not saying those guys weren't one of the guys, but Brady really had to earn everything, right? I mean, it's a guy that was the third string quarterback at one point. They kept him on the team, and eventually he takes over and he keeps the job. He keeps the job from Drew Bledsoe because he deserved to keep the job because the way that the team was playing around him. And I do think if you think about this for, what, 23 seasons that Brady played in? with the exception of crazy Antonio Brown. Can you think of one guy that said anything bad about Tom? Nobody disliked Tom Brady. And I think that that's sort of like the ultimate sign of being a great teammate, right? Where everybody liked Tom Brady. Nobody disliked Tom Brady. I mean, the first part of the dynasty, those guys respected him because he didn't come in boisterous, right? He didn't try to take over the team. He knew it was Brewski's team. He knew it was Ted Johnson's team and Rodney Harrison's team. And then Brady fit in. And then ultimately, when Brady had to take over as the ultimate leader of the organization, he did. So it's just really <laughs> storybook career, perfect career. But man, going back through memory lane, it, it does kind of get you sad because you start to think about well, now it's over. Now we're gonna have to deal with the situation coming into next season. With thank God Patricia's not calling plays anymore. They get Bill O'Brien back. But man, what a run that that guy had for 20 years here. All right, coming up next, I do want to get to my top five athletes since the turn of the century here in Boston. All right, welcome back into Off the Pike. Time now for my top five Boston athletes since the turn of the century. Number one, I think it's pretty damn obvious. The reason we're doing this podcast today is because of Tom Brady. So Tom Brady is number one. It's not even remotely close. Tom Brady, number one on the list. Number two, I felt like this is actually pretty easy, too, to come up with number two on the list. And that's David Ortiz. Because if you think about Ortiz, he had the walk-off home run against the Yankees in game four in terms of the epic comeback where they're down three games to none. He hit the walk off single in game five in the fourteenth, where they win that game. And that's when Joe Buck was in. You can run all the way to New York, right? And then in so they end up winning that World Series, of course, where they we knew once they were getting there, they were going to win. They swept the Cardinals. You finally got the curse off your back. And a large part of that has to be because of Ortiz coming up with these incredible clutch hits. And that's what Ortiz would be known for here. The guy was one of the best clutch hitters we have ever seen in the history of baseball. And think about it just as a Red Sox fan. Every time this guy came up in the postseason, you thought something good was going to happen. And that's what made Ortiz so special. And that's why teams feared him, except in the case of like the Tigers for whatever reason. Because you think about the next part I'm going to go to with Ortiz is 13, where they're down one nothing to that one game to nothing, I should say to that juggernaut of a Tigers team where that team was loaded. The fact that they did not win a World Series is an absolute joke. Verlander, Scherzer, Miguel Cabrera, that team was loaded. They never won a World Series. But with Ortiz, in 13, he hits the grand slam to tie the game up off Joaquin Benoit. And if they don't win that game, Tigers go up 2-0. You do not win that, right? And then, so he saves the season in Game two against the Tigers. And then in the World Series, he turns superhuman. 11 for 16. He hits the two bombs. 7.60 on base percentage. Slugged 11.88. 19.48 OPS. This guy, I still have no idea why Mike Matheny continued to pitch to David Ortiz. It made no sense to me whatsoever. But he continued to do it time and time again. He pitched to David Ortiz. And every time, David Ortiz made him pay. So David Ortiz, number two on the list. And I don't even think it's remotely close. So number three and number four, this is where I kind of had some difficulty. So it's between Bergeron and Pierce for three and four. I go with Bergeron at three because here's the thing. Bergeron has had more long-term sustainability. Look, Pierce played 15 years for the Celtics. I'm not saying that he wasn't here long-term and he wasn't great long-term. But Bergeron has the five Selkies. He's still now playing at a very high level at the age of 37, And you just think about the sustainability. That's what gives him the edge there. We're talking about 19 seasons. And right now, this thing is still at a high level in terms of the Bruins. And a large portion of that is because of Patrice Bergeron and Patrice Bergeron's leadership here, right? He's really, when you compare him to Pierce, to me, the biggest difference is the longevity. Even if for large portions, uh, Pierce was the more popular guy, Bergeron has just been basically great since he stepped into the nfl and he continues to sustain that i do think a large portion of why the culture is what it is with the bruins is because of patrice bergeron all right so then four is pierce as i kind of hinted at that 15 seasons as a celtic and i think about the early conference title run with antoine walker i go back and i'm very appreciative of that uh and I think about the early conference title run with Antoine Walker, and now I really appreciate that more because, remember, this team was not compelling for a while, and he made them interesting again, him and Walker, because you go back to the 1990s, they just had some really, really bad seasons with Rick Pitino running the team. And of course, we know about the tragedies in Len Bias, where he was supposed to be the next guy after Bird, and then, of course, Reggie Lewis. So he had a lot of tragedies with the team, but then you also had the Patino era that was just a complete mess. Just as a side note with that, think about this. Billups, who was drafted in 97, traded in his rookie season along with Dee Brown and Roy Rogers, John Thomas for Kenny Anderson and Popeye Jones. He gave up on Chauncey Billups in his first year. Then he traded Andrew DeClerc for a Vitaly Potapenko in a first round pick. So the Cavs get the eighth pick. They take Andre Miller that year. Sean Marion goes ninth. Jason Terry goes 10th. Ron Artest goes 16th. And then you took Ron Mercer six overall in 97. T-Mac went ninth. So really, if you think about it, I know it's not a perfect science, the draft, but you could have been looking at a core of Pierce, Walker, Billups, T-Mac at either Marion, Terry, or or Miller. Think about that. That could have been the core of the Celtics, but Patino fucked it up so badly. But anyway, Pierce, getting back to the whole top five thing. Sorry, I got sidetracked. Pierce wins in 08, wins the championship. And now Garnett was the most important player on that team because he changed the culture in terms of they became by far the best defensive team in the NBA. But you don't get Garnett and Ray here without Paul Pierce. Like Paul Pierce was the attractive piece that brought those guys here. And then Paul had the signature moment in the run, right? Nobody had a bigger moment than Paul where he had that unbelievable duel with LeBron James in 2008 where he goes for 41 points in game seven. So Garnett, at the podium, too. Remember, he's like humming the Superman theme song, which is just <laughs> incredibly entertaining to see. But anyway, just getting back to the original point. Pierce had the moment. Pierce was a long term Celtic. Pierce deserves to be on the, this list. I give Berger on the edge, but I have number four. So number five is the real difficult one for me. Like, who's number five on the list? You have a lot of ways to go. Pedro, but Pedro's best season as a Red Sox was '99. He won the Triple Crown. He was still great in the early 2000s, of course, part of the 4 World Series team. But then you look at it. You could have gone shilling because he really changed things when he came here and the bloody sock game in game six. So he deserves consideration. Pedroia has an argument. He won an MVP. Tim Thomas has an argument because of the 2011 run, but it wasn't as long term as some of these other guys. Right. And you can think about Chara definitely has an argument being the captain for so long. Pasternak has to be in his peak a little more to put him in this conversation. Right. If you if you really think about it, like Pasta's is on that trajectory, but He hasn't done enough in terms of to be on this list yet. Same thing could be said about like Jason Tatum, et cetera. Edelman also deserves consideration. Second most postseason yards in terms of receiving yards. Ty Law, Rodney Harrison, a bunch of those Patriots guys, right? But the guy that I land on is Gronk. Gronk, you could make a real compelling argument that he is the greatest tight end in NFL history. He is a four-time first-team All-Pro, all with the Patriots. Most touchdowns by a tight end, 17 in that unbelievable season with Tom Brady. He was an unstoppable force of nature, and the thing I always say about Gronk is the Patriots were great without Gronk, and they were great before Gronk, but with Gronk, they were virtually unbeatable, and I gave you this a couple of weeks ago. The numbers with Tom Brady go absolutely through the roof, through the roof, when he's with Rob Gronkowski, so it just... When you can say, hey, he's probably the greatest tight end of all time. Like, yeah, you could say that with Pedro as a pitcher, but he also did it a lot before he came here. And you have that cutoff point of the year 2000. So I have to go with Gronk at number five, just because I've never seen that type of player in the history of the NFL dominate the way that Rob Gronkowski did. Unfortunate how it ended here with Gronk and Belichick, et cetera. But I put him number five. So just to recap, my top five Boston athletes since the top, since the turn of the century, Brady one, Ortiz two. Patrice Bergeron, three, four, Pierce, and I go five, Rob Gronkowski. All right. That was fun. Tom Brady retires. I wish Tom the best going forward. He's not going to be hurting for money or anything along those lines. i I'm still, to recap what I said at the beginning, I'm really stunned that Brady retired because I really thought he had another year left in him. All right. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Srudy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days.